Good morning. It's good to see you today. We appreciate so much your presence. Very thankful for the opportunity to be together. I do want to express my appreciation to Jared for preaching in my absence last week. He did a great job as always, and I appreciate Jared and Anna and their family very, very much. I appreciate all the good that they do in this congregation. I appreciate you. And uh, I want you to know that I don't take Olive Grants for granted. It's a great place, and I'm grateful for it. When I was 14, I had the opportunity to become friends with two very special people in my life. And we became very close. Their mom and dad were pillars in many ways. They were members of the church. Their dad was an elder. And they were probably one of the finest families that I've ever known. When I was 14, their mom, who was a very strong and athletic lady, she was a tall lady. Her children were very athletic. She had a, a brain aneurysm. And for a long time, the family didn't think she would live. As a matter of fact, I suspect that she lived in large part due to the prayers offered on her behalf by the church. She was never really the same after having suffered that aneurysm. I remember going to visit with them after she had come home from the hospital. And I don't know how, I don't remember how long she was in the hospital. But I do remember going to their front door. And I could see through the door, and she was sitting in the den living room area in a chair. And she had been a big, tall, athletic lady. You had to know her. And I remember seeing her sitting in that chair, almost hunched down. And I could only see the back of her head. Her head, of course, had been shaved. And she looked to me like a little old man. And so I went in and sat down, and my buddy at that time was, he was the oldest. He was a senior in high school. And I remember during the course of our conversation, he alluded to the fact that he was a senior. And I remember she said, oh, you're a senior. And he said, yeah. She never was the same physically. She was an incredible lady of faith. And had you known them, you would have loved them. And I have so much admiration, respect, and love for them even today. And when I reflect back, what really stands out to me, I never once... Never once did I hear her ever complain. Never did she complain about her disability. Her husband, my buddy's father, he was an incredible caregiver. And he stuck, he stuck, stuck to her like glue. And never heard him complain. Never once saw a crack in the armor. He continued to treat her like he always had. 
And they were an amazing couple. And their lives were altered forever after that aneurysm. What do you do when the bottom falls out? When life as you know it has changed, how do you handle that? How do you deal as a wife with a husband who doesn't care for the church, isn't really interested in spiritual things, didn't turn out to be the the knight in shining armor like you thought he was? How do you deal with a wife that won't stand by you when tough times come? How do you react when your children have problems and when you reared them the right way and their lives are a mess? How do you deal with that? What do you do when the bottom falls out? I want to talk a little bit this morning about this very theme, when the bottom falls out, because for many of us, the bottom has fallen out. And so what we have to try to do to some extent is put the pieces back in place and carry on. But how do we do that? I want to talk about a friend of mine, a friend of yours that you've known him for a long time. His name is Job. I call him a friend because I think he's just that, a friend. And this fellow was a good man, but he faced a lot of difficulties in life. I want to begin by talking about the character of Job. You know, a lot of times we talk about people who have problems and whose lives are turned upside down, and we we think about people that we know whose lives are chaotic and in, in many ways, but they're just a mess. And we think, well, it's because of their lifestyle. It's because they're not a Christian. It's because they're not a follower of God. But you need to understand something about Job. When we talk about the character of Job, his character was impeccable, second to none. So when I look at the book of Job and I think about his behavior, the first thing that stands out to me is his walk with God. Listen to what is said in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, and Uz was located in the region of northern Arabia, somewhere around the Dead Sea, the land of Moab. And the Bible says concerning Job that he was blameless. In other words, here was a man who was morally and ethically pure. Not only was he blameless, but the text tells us he was upright. And the word upright is used for a road that is straight, a plane that is level or even. So we're talking about somebody, biblically speaking, who's a good man. I mean, as I said a moment ago, he'd take back seat to no one. The Bible says he feared God, he reverenced God, he had tremendous respect for the creator of the universe. And then the Bible says he shunned or literally turned away from that which was evil. Now you think about people that you know today, 
And you could ask yourself, how do they measure up in comparison to this godly man? How do we measure up? I mean, this guy was very special in many ways. I think about his walk with God, and then the Bible also talks about his worship of God. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, So it was when the days of fasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. He had ten children. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. He had ten children, as I said a moment ago. He was a very conscientious man, and he said, It might be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And then note this little tagline, Thus Job did regularly. I mean, we talk about his walk with God and his worship of God. Special man. A good man. And then, let's think about his blessings for a minute. In verse 2, we are introduced to his family. The Bible tells us he had seven sons and three daughters. Now we think about those who are literally bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. When you begin to identify your blessings in life, and you might have a lot of blessings materially and physically and mentally and emotionally, but wouldn't you say that your family would rank at the top or near the top in terms of your blessings in life? And then note what is said, not just with regard to his family, but his fortune. He was a wealthy man. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And so you get some insight into the character of this fellow that we know by the name of Job. A man that was blessed immensely in all the blessings that we enjoy. We sang just a moment ago, count your many blessings. And how blessed we are as God's people. James would say many years ago, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Paul in Acts chapter 17, when he preached on Mars Hill, said of God that He is the giver of all life and breath and all things, that it is in Him that we live and move and have our very being. So, how thankful we ought to be for our blessings, and I have no doubt that Job was grateful for his blessings. But then there's a second thing I want you to see. It has to do with the crisis of Job. His adversity. Let's, let's just think for a minute or two about the scope of his losses. And then I want to maybe call attention to the severity of his losses. If you read the text, you'll find that Satan appeared before the throne of God on one occasion. And when he came before the throne of God, the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Imagine the creator of the universe having that kind of confidence in his own creation. Could God say of us to the devil, have you considered my servant? 
And so in verse 9, Satan says to the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. And so really what, what Satan is saying about Job is, look, let me tell you why he's serving you. It's because you blessed him. I mean, why wouldn't he serve you? You've given him everything, a good family. You've blessed the work of his hands. He's rich. He's affluent. He's got everything he needs. Why wouldn't he serve you? And so the Lord said in verse 11, Stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to, to, his face, to your face. Rather, That's what the devil said. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And then the Bible says, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And you know the story. In short order, the devil attacked Job. First he attacked his fortune. In verse 16, the Bible says, well, in verse 14, the Bible says, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. A messenger arrives. He says, the Sabaeans have raided and taken them all away. Indeed, they've killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, and this expression is found three times in this context. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven, burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he's still speaking, another also came, the Chaldeans. He said, They've got two bands. They've raided the camels and took them away. Yes, he said, They've killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. And then again, while he's still speaking, another also comes. Imagine. Messenger after messenger after messenger. Every message has more bad news. He said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, fell on the young men, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Now you just think about that. In a matter of time, he lost his fortune. He lost his family, and then the devil's not through with him. In chapter 2, the devil comes back. The Lord again says, verse 3, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. Blameless, upright, one who fears God, shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy, to consume him without cause. And listen to the devil. The devil said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. In other words, every man has his price. Stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. And what will he do? He will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to, to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. Verse 7 said, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. And so what did he lose? He lost his fortune. 
He lost his family. And by the way, if you read on in verse 9, you remember his wife, his helpmeet, his companion? She asked, do you still retain or hold to your integrity? Curse God and die. How's that for support? So he lost his fortune. He lost his family. He lost his health. Because you see, the devil touched his fortune, his family, his flesh. And so, as I think about the suffering of this fellow, the scope of his adversity, I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the severity of his suffering or adversity. If I were to ask you, how would you describe the losses of Job? What would you say? Let's just imagine that over the course of the next few days, you're wiped out financially. And then not only that, but you lose your family. And then let's just add to that, you lose your health. The three things that you have been blessed with, you've been a rock, solid, life is good, blessings are immeasurable, and then you lose it all. Could I say to you today that I believe that his losses were catastrophic? I mean, I... I can't begin to imagine losing one child but to bury ten. To lose all of your wealth. When you think about what you have by way of financial assets, your house, your land, automobiles, whatever toys you have, your clothing, CDs, Stocks, bonds, I mean, all of it, gone. How do you deal with that? How would you describe it? I'll tell you how I'd describe it. Catastrophic loss. Not only would I say those losses were catastrophic, I would say they were complete. Let me tell you what, if you were to have asked Job, Job, what'd you lose? I think he'd have said, I lost everything. I lost everything. You ever known anybody to lose everything? I mean, they have nothing. They've been blessed. They've enjoyed all the good things that God has to shower upon them and then, like that, gone. This fella suffered the loss of everything. So really what we have to ask ourselves is, what kind of condition do we find Job in following his losses? What's his attitude? How does he react? How would you react? Do you think about when the bottom falls out, and to just be very honest and candid with you, from where I sit, the bottom fell out in the life of Job. I mean, he lost everything. And so I want to begin by talking about the anguish of a suffering saint. And I want to talk for a minute or two about the despair of this man. Drop down and look, if you would, at verse 11 in chapter 2. You remember the three friends of Job. 
They heard about his adversity. They came, each one from his own place. They came for the purpose of mourning with him and comforting him. And listen to what it said in verse 12. I find this extremely interesting and powerful. The Bible says they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him. They lifted up their voices and wept. You remember I talked just a minute ago about my buddies that I grew up with. When I saw their mother for the first time after having gone through an extremely difficult surgery, brain aneurysm, I didn't recognize her. She didn't look like she used to look. She wasn't that strong, tall, athletic, go-getter. Looked like a little old man. They didn't recognize this fella. And they lifted their voices and wept. Have you ever wept over the condition of another person? I mean, you've seen their losses, you've hurt with them, and, and you really can't put yourself in their shoes. To some extent, maybe you get a little bit of what they're going through, but you really don't understand everything. It's hard, isn't it? The Bible says they sat down with him. Seven days, seven nights, no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. What, what do you say to somebody like that? I mean, when you initially come in contact with somebody whose world has been turned upside down, what do you say to them? How's it going? How's life? Sometimes maybe the best thing, just don't say a word. Because in reality, life is not good. Nothing good about it. So, think with me for a moment about his despair. Look at chapter 3. And listen to the terms that Job uses. Verse 20. Words like misery, bitterness of soul, Verse 24, sighing, groanings. Verse 26, I'm not at ease. I have no rest. Those words are pictures into the heart of Job. Despair? I'm not sure despair adequately conveys where this fellow was at this point in time in life. And then think about his desire. Put yourself in his place. Let's just say that you lost your fortune and you've buried your children. They're gone. And you've lost your health. What would you what would you say? What would you write? How would you define your existence? What would be your desire? Listen to what Job said. In verse 2, the Bible says that 
Job said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. Drop down, look at verse 10. Because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the, from the womb? You know what Job is saying? I wish I never had been born. Wish I had never seen the light of day on planet earth. You ever been there? Have you ever been to a point in your life where you have said, you know what? I wish I'd never been born. That's where this fellow was. Hurting immensely. So what about his attitude? How do we, how do we somehow learn to deal with life when the bottom falls out? I, I want to just give some suggestions. Because you might be here today and in reality your life hasn't turned out like you planned. As a matter of fact, listen to what Job says in verse 25. The thing I greatly feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Are there things that you have thought about in the past? Scenarios, circumstances. And in your heart of hearts, you have thought, I hope and pray that never happens to me. Hope and pray I never see that. Hope and pray I never hear that. Hope and pray I never have to experience that. Job said, let me tell you what, my greatest fears have come home to roost. So how do you deal with that? How do you somehow hold on and go on? Because I want to be honest with you, it's not easy. Let me tell you, when the bottom falls out and your life is turned upside down and things have not turned out as you planned, it's not easy. So how do you deal? How do you go on? I want to I just give you some thoughts. First, I think, very important. Resolve to trust God. The Bible says in Job chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job had a lot of questions. Later in the book, God's going to hit him with about 60 questions in rapid fire. Job couldn't answer those questions. And there are times in life when we have questions and we don't understand all that's going on. And I'll be honest with you, that there are some times when I don't have adequate words to convey the losses that people have experienced. I don't have that ability. But I know that come what may, we have got to learn to trust God. You remember Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3 when he said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Learning to trust God. Isn't that the lesson that Paul learned from his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? When he prayed to God that He would remove that thorn in the flesh, and God said, let me tell you what, Paul, 
My grace is sufficient for you. Here's what you need to do, Paul. Trust me. Trust me. Number two, we need to read the truth of God. Read the Bible. And you ask the question, why should I read the Bible? Why read? Well, do you remember the passage read a moment ago, James chapter 5, verse 11, when James said, you have heard of the patience or the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Do you know what James was saying? James is saying, look, and he's writing to people who are suffering. And he's saying, look, go back in history. You've heard about Job. You've read about Job. You know about his life. You saw that man bore, you saw that man bear up with a persevering spirit. You saw his trust. Go back and read about him and learn something. Didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 15, whatever things were written beforehand were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope? So read the truth of God, because when you go back and you start reading about other people, you find out that Sometimes your life mirrors their lives. If they made it, you can make it. Look at the principles that help to sustain them and help to get them through a crisis or a difficulty or an adversity. Learn from them. Let me give you a third principle. And that is, I believe that we need to remember to turn it over to God. Turn it over to God. Do you remember in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter again is writing, Peter's writing to Christians who are suffering. And Peter said, humble yourselves in the sight of God. And what will he do? He'll exalt you. And then he follows that by saying, casting all your care on him. Now, think about it for a minute. Look at the life of Job. Job's been through a whirlwind. His life has been turned upside down. And sometimes when we face difficulties in life, the hardest thing to do is to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I can't, I can't handle it all on my own. I don't have a magic wand. I can't somehow just magically erase all the trouble and trial that I faced. I can't go back and change history. What I've got to do is go forward. So what I have to do is humble myself and then take all of my trials, my troubles, my hurts, my adversities, and give them to God. And could I tell you something? The shoulders of God are big enough to handle your cares and your burdens, aren't they? God can handle whatever you throw His way. The Hebrew writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you think Job had needs? He did, didn't he? You think he was hurting? I have no doubt that fellow was hurting inside out, shaken to his core. So, remember to turn it over to God. And then finally... I would encourage us to rely, to rely on trustworthy people of God.
Are there people that you know who are members of the church who face tough times and come out on the other side? You know, the Bible talks about God being the God of all comfort, the Father of all mercies. And He talks about how we as children of God can comfort those who are in any trouble. There are people here today who have been where you are. They buried a loved one, whether it's a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a sibling. They've had financial reversals in life. They know what it means to experience economic crisis in life. There are folks here that have suffered the loss of a job, maybe a dream job. They've been there. There are folks that have faced difficult circumstances. And so what I would encourage us to do, seek out those people and rely on them. You know, Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we are to weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. And Paul would say to the saints in Galatia, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are people that will help you bear your burden. So when the bottom falls out, what do you do? One of two things. You can give up. You can throw in the towel. You can have a pity party. Or you can muster the strength to go forward. I would hope and pray that we would take the principles I talked about just a moment ago and apply them to our lives. Because I want you to know, when you belong to the human family, you belong to a family that hurts. You see, people have problems, don't they? And we're people. So what we got to do is learn to hold on and go on, no matter what. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I don't know what you're battling. I don't know your circumstances. But I do know that it might be the case that you're here today and you're facing some tough times. Don't you think it'd be easier to have God in your corner? To have God on your side? I don't know how folks in the world make it, do you? But we can know that there's a God who will stand with us and who will stand for us. So what would you need to do? Well, believe Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name before others, be buried with Him in baptism, rise to walk in newness of life, to experience the washing away of your sins, and then let God put you in His church, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And then you'll be a part of a family that can be there for you. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what you thought it would be, and maybe you're hurting, and you need the prayers of the church here, we'd be happy to pray for you. If you're here today and you need the prayers of the church, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.